Uh, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. And as you're turning there today, um, I would just like to share a story. And I, I, I wanted, I'm sure you all have a moment in your uh, maybe life where you've done something where you saw something that was not just. Something was wrong, and you went about in your own way to try to correct it. So maybe as that thing's coming to your mind, let me share with you something that I did uh, one time. Um, and that was, uh, I, I have these feet of mine, my shoes, somehow are like magnets to dog droppings, okay? If, if, if it's there somewhere, I'm going to step in it. I'm just always that guy. And so in the neighborhood that we had lived in, uh, there was a man who would walk his dog all the time and would never pick up his dog's droppings. And I was constantly stepping in the dog droppings. And so I'd actually talked to him a couple of times because he, it had actually happened on my neighbor's property. And so I said, hey, would you mind picking that up? Didn't happen. And so one time I was like, I'm going to get this guy back. I got I to gotta have justice. I got to make sure this is okay. So um, saw the dog go on our property and, and went away. And so while nobody's watching, I looked, looked around. I snuck out there, and with a Ziploc bag, I, I picked up the droppings, neatly zipped it up, and went and put it on the man's car windshield <laughs> with a little note that read this. The next time you don't use a bag to pick up your dog's droppings, I'm not going to use a bag to return it. Exactly. Like, whoa, okay. And I watched... And the man read the note, and you know what? That dog never went in my yard again. I mean, it was, if it did, it was picked up. And I thought to myself, I have, I have given justice. Like, I have done what was proper and right, and, and, and so it's there. And, and that kind of wells up on us when we think, I have to be the one to, to do this. And, and um, yet there's times when we act on, on our own behalf. We're not acting on God's behalf. And we need to remember who the just judge is, who is right, and when is the right time to step into uh, doing those things? So we're, we're going to go to that this morning. That's a silly story from my past. We're in the book of Exodus. Uh, up to this point, we have read how uh, God's people have been in slavery in Egypt. And so now God's going to come rescue them. All the people uh, in Egypt, the, the baby boys were being killed. But one had been spared, Moses, who had been rescued and ended up through this amazing story growing up in Pharaoh's family. And so uh, the book of Acts actually tells us that while he was in Pharaoh's family, he learned in the Egyptian schools and that he became uh, uh, very good and well-versed in word and deed. And so here's this mighty Hebrew boy at about 40 years old. His heart is moved to go out and be among his brothers, the Israelites, the Hebrews. And so he goes out. And that's kind of where we catch this story. It's Exodus chapter 2. Verse 11, it says, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. So Moses goes out. The first thing he sees as his heart takes him out to go see is he sees one of his own people being abused. An Egyptian is beating upon a Hebrew. And of course, if you saw that and you had compassion and empathy and you were relating to your people, something would well up in you. You would want justice. And that's what uh, Moses did. It says here in verse 12, he looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him 
in the sand. So he murders the Egyptian and covers it up, makes sure nobody sees Moses was taking justice as he thought upon this guy. It says then in verse 13, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? The man answered, who made you prince, a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. So Moses had something put by God in his heart, and that was to go and view his brothers. And as he goes out, he sees something wrongly done against one of his brothers. And so he looks this way and he looks that way. And he goes and he takes his own vengeance out upon this, uh, uh, this Egyptian. He kills the Egyptian, hides him in the sand. He thinks he's done it. The next day when two Hebrews are in a disagreement, he goes out and tries to defend. defend. The one says, what, are you going to kill me too? And he had been exposed. Had there been injustice? Yes. Was he operating according to God being the just judge, according to what God wanted? Not yet. God was going to have to bring him to a place of operating under his will and in his way to take care of the Egyptians. It wasn't Moses' time yet. It wasn't his time to come in and just because Moses, by his own action in that moment, to take care of the Egyptian. And so after he had killed the Egyptian, and now that he'd been exposed, he becomes afraid of Pharaoh, and he runs away into the desert. So he leaves the big city, he leaves the Egyptian, as he goes down into the wilderness, into Midian, which is in the Sinai Peninsula, and he goes down to really know where no people are now. He's about 40 years old when this happens, and we pick up the story again in verse 16. It says, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, And they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. And they came home to their father, Ruel, and said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jeshurun. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And that's what Jeshurun sounds like in the Hebrew language, a a sojourner. Uh, and, and so Moses has run away. And while he's down there, he's he's by this well where these women have come to 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 water their animals and they're being harassed by the shepherds. Get out of here. You're just women. You're not you shouldn't be here. And and Moses steps in and he he helps out in this very loving way. And when he does that, the women look at him and they're like, he's an Egyptian. Well, he was an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew, but he had been brought up with the Egyptians. He was probably still wearing kind of palace clothes. That's what he had. So he, he ends up in the desert, and they're like, some Egyptians come to help us. Well, Raul, their father's like, well, why didn't you bring him home? He needed a meal. And when Moses comes back into that place, he's, he's, he's in their family. He marries Zipporah, the daughter. But even as his son is born, Jeshurun, 
He identifies with where, he has, where he's at in life by naming the child Jeshurun, a sojourner. What Moses is learning is that if I'm in Pharaoh's house, I don't feel home. And when I'm trying to do my own justice thing, I'm not home there. I had to run away. And now I'm in Midian and I'm trying to do this. And and they think I'm an Egyptian. The Hebrews didn't want me. The Egyptians, they don't want me here. I'm in the middle of the desert. I'm a sojourner. I don't got a home. I don't got a home. So he names his son sojourner, which basically means I don't got a home. You ever felt like that? Don't got a home. I remember my uh, my cousin's a missionary in Mexico. He was born in Mexico. Raised in Mexico by an American family, his family, he has a United States passport. And so even though he's in the Mexican culture, fully integrated in the Mexican culture, loves Mexican food, can speak fluently Spanish, uh, has friends and everything. He acknowledges that they don't quite accept him as Mexican. Well, he'll travel up to the United States, whether he's on furlough or going to school. And and because he has more of a Mexican accent and because they dress a little bit different. So he dresses a little bit different when he comes up. People in the United States are like, well, you're not you're not quite American. So he's told me, he's like, I just don't ever feel like I'm home. I I don't feel like I'm I can be in Mexico and be home. I don't feel like I can be in America and be home. And so he's just like, my home is with God. My home is when I'm with Jesus. My home is when I'm satisfied wherever he has me. And I just have to rest in God's presence. And that's what God was doing with Moses. He's growing up. Moses say, you, you, you're not an Egyptian. Now you are a Hebrew, but you can't just operate just doing what the Hebrews do. And he was drawing him to himself. We're going to see in the next chapter as God draws him up onto the mountain to say, now you need to recognize me. And I'm going to have you do some things. And it's going to be in my way and my justice. But but. Your, your home is when you're operating in me. You know, we had Danny read the passage beforehand, and I just want to read it again out of First Peter. Later on, as Jesus comes, now this is, this is God who is in the throne room. He's become flesh, and even though he's Jewish, he is calling people to not be part of this world. It doesn't mean we can't be citizens of a nation or grow up in a certain place. But what he's saying is this world is not your home. You are called to not find a home and be satisfied with this place and do things the way that people do things in this place. We are gods. We operate according to his will and his word and his truth and what he wants. And so, again, out of first Peter, chapter two, it says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul and keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
It's right there. He says, you've been chosen. You're a royal priesthood. You were not a people, and now you're a people. And God has compassion upon who he has compassion. He has mercy upon who he has mercy. So he had mercy on you, called you to himself, made you a people, and now you are no longer to call this place home. You are an exile. He actually said that you people are sojourners. The same thing that Moses called his son because he was identifying as one who didn't have a place. The only place that we are to be completely satisfied is with Jesus. Jesus is our home. Jesus is our place. Jesus is the one in whom we should find our complete satisfaction. And so finally, as we go back to Exodus chapter 2, it says in verse 23, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. I love that last part. And God knew. God had heard their groaning. He knew they were in slavery slavery. And it says that he remembered not that he forgot, but he was recounting the fact that he had made a promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob that he would come in and he would rescue the people of Israel, that he would bring them out of the place of slavery and bring them to himself. Part of that covenant that transcends time to you and me is the fact that he had made a promise to Abraham that through his offspring, all nations would be blessed. In the book of Galatians, it says specifically that that offspring was Jesus and that through Jesus and because of what he's done, he has brought you out of slavery. He has called you out. He has chosen you and he's made you that people. And so we are no longer to take a home in this place. We are called to follow him like his disciples who, even though they were fishing or even though they were tax collectors or even though he said, come follow me. Come follow me. And as they went and they watched Jesus in his ministry of helping people with miracles and teaching people the truth. And as he led them in compassion and mercy and discipline, he led them finally to a table. The scriptures say that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he sat at this table. And he had a meal with them. It was a holiday meal, the same way that we would in a house. And he had this meal with them. And he took the bread and he broke it. It was to represent his body that was going to be broken for them. He took the the cup of wine and passed it among them. That was to represent his blood that would be shed for them. And there they ate this meal. All these ones who had been called from the world. And to be with Jesus. To be his followers. To be his disciples. And they ate the meal that night. They were to remember who he was and what he was calling them to. And that by the cross that he would be slaughtered on. He would be their everything. He would forgive them. He would give them purpose. He would give them home. I remember that on that night, it says that it was on the night that he was betrayed. Later on that night, there would be a guy who would sell out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. But he had been at the table. He had been at the table. Because we can come to the church. And we can come to homecoming. 
and we can go have a covered dish meal and we can sing the songs and that doesn't mean that we're home with Jesus. What Jesus says is you're with me when you accept my forgiveness. When I have washed you clean, when you have had your garments of filth taken off because they've been stained by your sin and I have put on garments of white and you've been made pure and then you're with me, then you're with me when I have made you holy. And then I will call you to do the things I will call you to do. With Moses, it was him running out and just doing what he thought he should do for justice. It was later on when he went back in with God's call and he watched God go and destroy enemies and rescue a people that he was watching God's holiness and God's justice and God go to a people and say, I am bringing you not just to a land and not just to a place where you can call yourself a country. I am bringing you to myself. And that's what Jesus did through his body and his blood. The ultimate justice of bringing people to himself. The scripture says that God is just. And what that means is that he couldn't just go to a world after Adam and Eve sinned, after we've all sinned, after we've all done our crud and say, yeah, I just forgive you. I'll just forget about it. The scripture says that when God forgives you and me, that he takes that sin and that sin had to go somewhere. Somebody had to pay. And the scripture says that God put his own son, Jesus Christ, on the cross to pay for our sins. And because God is just and because he will have complete justice, not like Moses, who had to look this way and that way and try to cover up justice. God said, I will have justice. And he slaughtered his own son in full view of everybody that day and has made the good news known about Jesus because he's not covering up the justice. In order to be just for your sin, he had his own son killed. And the scripture says, as a result, because we are home with Jesus, because we trust in Jesus. That means in this life, we may not seem like see, it may not seem like we have justice. Then maybe it means we can't just run around putting Ziploc baggies of doggy do on people's windshields and thinking we've we've got it all straightened out. There's going to be times when God just says, you've got to trust me on this. And he's going to take care of it. It may not be till the judgment day when he fully takes care of it. But God will be just. He will be just. And so he calls us to trust him in that. Today, part of that is just coming to him and saying, OK. And that's what we're going to do today as we come to the to the communion table. As he sat with his disciples and each of them really had as they took the bread and as they took the wine, they had to say, I'm I'm putting my trust in you that that this will remove my sin. And so I'm going to be OK with that, that I'm just going to trust you for everything. So we're going to take our communion meal together. I'm going to ask the, the, the deacons to, to come forward. Scripture says that we are to examine ourselves 
that we might be right in our hearts before the Lord, that if there be anything in our hearts that would really be against Him in sin or anything, that, that we should put that before the Lord before we eat this meal. This meal is for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, who have been called to be sojourners, called to be exiles, called to be people who find our home in Jesus, not this world. And so today we'll pass out the, the elements, the, the wafers and the juice, and I would ask you just to hold on to those things and we'll take them together. But here's what I'd like you to do. While it's being passed out, we're going to sing a song, a song that you probably know really well, I Surrender All. And really what that's saying is, I'm giving it all to Jesus. I'm surrendering what I think are my own ways of justice, my own rights, my own, and I'm just surrendering all my sin. I'm surrendering my ways to Jesus. So as we pass these things out, you're welcome to sing along, but in your heart, be putting your heart before the Lord and saying, I surrender. Hold on to the, the wafer and the juice, and then at the end of our singing and at the end of passing out, we will take those things together. But at this time, let's Let's uh, pass out the meal. Let me pray, and then we'll go. Father, thank you for this opportunity of reminding us of your goodness. It's not left for, up for us to take care of things in this world, but you have taken care of, of everything, and we can trust you. And so, Lord, we pray that we would bring to you first our lives, our hearts, our actions, and we would put them before you and trust you. Lord, this morning we ask that you would help us to surrender all. We pray this in Christ's name.